We are Lone Star 187. Two sisters that love listening to true crime podcasts and decided to give this shit a try. Since we are Texas through and through, we will be researching murders across our Lone Star state. 187 is slang for the penal code for homicide. Since police codes are unique by city and county, we decided to simply use something that most people would get. We know this code isn't specific to Texas, but hey, we like it and it's our podcast, so we do what we want. Lone Star 187 most definitely contains elements that are not suitable for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Units heading out to that disturbance exit seat in the vehicle. Go ahead and reduce, but continue, reduce, but continue at one point. Case file 65, Carla Walker. Pew, 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 hey. pew, pew. Who are you? I mean, what what are we doing? What's um, going on? Whoa. Friday it's of, night. It's a lot of questions at one I'm time. sorry. Let me just throw them at you. Hello, I'm Brittany. Hello, I'm Carrie. <laughs> and together. We are Lone, Lone Star 187. Back at you. Coming at you live from the recording studio in Frisco. Texas. Well, or the post- podcast room. Yes. Yes. So I hope everybody liked our last one. Yep. Yep. I hope so. And isn't everybody so pleased with our sound? It's beautiful. All these blue light, these blue things moving up and down, beautiful sound. We're consistent. This time we got the little pantyhose thing so you don't hear the pop, pop, pop. Yeah, we've been bad with that. So where are do we, we going? have any wait, do we have any business? Well, I first have to apologize to our people because I have not been posting any memes on our page. Oh. Um, a lot of that is because a lot of the ones that I have are ones we've already posted and I've just been busy. Yeah. And you're not able to be because you're back in the working in the office, so it's really mm-hmm. hard to to do that when you're working in a doctor's office and yeah. all that good stuff. So yeah. You know, I have more time, so maybe I should start doing that on your behalf. Let me oh, just take that burden off thanks. of you. Thanks. Let me just throw you that hat over yep. there. All right. So I will I will get right on top of that, Rose. And we have not gone live in a while, so we'll we have haven't to do gone that. Live. We'll have to do that. Maybe, yeah, maybe we can figure something out. Oh, wait till I tell you what town we're in. Maybe we can figure something out. Okay. Ask me. Are we so, ready to dive in? Yeah, I'm okay. T- I'm ready. Suits on. Suits on. We're not going super far. Okay. Where are we going? Fort Worth. Okay. Um, that's kind of crazy. I feel like that's on our calendar soon. Yeah. Like maybe tomorrow. Luda. Where are we going? We're going to go see <laughs> Luda. Luda. For all of you that don't know, we love Ludacris. Pig in a blanket of smoking a pancake. <laughs> and he's playing at the new um, Tana Hill Tavern. Yeah, music something tavern. Something like that. It's but- like a new place in Fort Worth. And they did like a whole lineup for the first month it's open. I'm sorry. Am I boring you? Absolutely not. Now you got me fucking yawning. This is my life. Shit. Okay, stop yawning. Okay. So we're going to Fort Worth. So we're going to Fort Worth and we're going way back. Time, do we need our time machine? We definitely do. Because we're going back to 1974. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And so my the source of this is not the typical source that I have, meaning an episode of anything. This is straight out of the Texas Monthly. And it was a story he called the Cowtown Killer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, his name is Skip Hollinsworth, and I love all of his articles. He does a lot of good articles about murders in Texas. Mm-hmm. I was at HEB. I, I think I was on a girl's trip or something because I remember Angie was there, but we were on a girl's trip. We were in HEB, and I saw it, and I was like, I'm going to grab that. So I grabbed the entire magazine and I stuffed it in my bag and I forgot about it. And then I picked the bag up when I went to empty and I was like, oh shit, I'm going to do this story. And it's really, really good. So you stole it? No, I bought it. I didn't stole it. I didn't stole it. I didn't stole it from HEB. It's right put there it, at the checkout. So you put it in your bag. I mean, well, I paid for it. And then I, <laughs> when I got back to the room, I put it in my bag. Okay. I did actually pay for it. Can I see your receipt? I'm sure I don't have my <laughs> receipt. I, I know I also bought beer. That helps. Big shock there, huh? Let's dive in. Let's do some deep dive in. So it's spring, so not summer. Nobody's angry. Nope. We haven't had any summer ones in a while. Damn it, Brittany. Sorry. Yeah. It's a sitting still for me. It's a okay. problem. So okay. uh, <laughs> we're in the red light district. <laughs> okay. February 16th, 1974. Well, maybe they're heartbroken after Valentine's Day. No, these people are happy. Okay. A kid by the name of, I say kid, a teenager by the name of Rodney McCoy, arrives at his girlfriend's house who lived in Benbrook. He was there to pick her up for the school's Valentine's Day dance. Her name was Carla, and he said when she came down the stairs, she was proudly wearing a promise ring that he had given her. How sweet. He pinned the corsage on her powder blue prom dress, and they drove off in his mom's car to the school cafeteria where the dance was being held. Back in the day. Yes. How did cute. you ever go to any of your proms? I went to my proms and dances. Yeah, I did not. Mm-hmm. I went to keg parties and shit. Big surprise there, huh? Shocker. So the dance was over around 1130. So Rodney invited another couple to cruise around with him and Carla on Camp Bowie Boulevard. Oh, I, I'm familiar with the name of that. So I guess back in the day, that was the strip where okay. they cruised the drag. And I guess there was a circle. It says the um, they cruised Camp Bowie Boulevard and the Benbrook Traffic Circle. They stopped at a at a couple of the usual teenager hangouts. They then they decided to drop off the other couple and go to a nearby bowling alley called the Brunswick Ridgely Bowl, so that she could use the bathroom. When she got back in the car, they started making out. Ooh. Um. So she leaned leaned against the passenger door using her purse as a pillow. Um, and then all of a sudden, the passenger door flew open, and this unknown person started hitting her boyfriend in the head with the butt of a pistol. Oh, my God. At some point, the gun's magazine clip dislodged and fell onto the parking lot. That escalated quickly. Very quickly. Um, the man grabbed Carla, and at this point, Rodney is barely conscious. He hears the man say, you're coming with me, aren't you, sweetie? Ew. I know, and that's creepy. Oh, that gives me the heebie Yeah. <laughs> The Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that the assailant fired the gun and a bullet grazed Rodney's forehead. Then he fired a second shot, which hit Rodney in the face. Oh, no. And then he started hitting with the butt of the gun. So I also did some research, as you can see. I guess I also got stuff from newspapers. It's been a while since I reread this. So some of the stuff I got from the newspapers.com archive. So that's where I was adding. A little mm-hmm. bit more information than the Texas Monthly had. Rodney said the, the person had short hair. He was Caucasian, about 5'11", weighed about 180 pounds, and talked like a cowboy. And that he was wearing a light-colored cowboy hat, which fell off when he opened the door. Mm. During this, Carla tells Rodney, go get my dad, go get my dad, go get my dad. So Rodney climbs into the driver's seat, hauls ass back to Carla's house, she tells him this as the guy's pulling her away. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he hauls ass. Her house is just less than a mile away. Her he just brother, left her? Well, he, the guy had already left. Oh, okay. Like okay. the guy took her and then took off. But as he's taken her away, she's telling him, go, go get, get my dad, go okay. get my dad. So her brother who was, she's got a brother named Jim who was 12 and her older sister, Cindy, who was 18 at the time, were in the living room, living room watching TV. And they heard somebody banging on the front door. And when they opened it, they were in complete shock because Rodney was standing there with blood dripping down his face while he's frantically saying, Mr. Walker, they've got her. They're going to hurt her bad. Oh, no. Her dad. Can you imagine like what a helpless feeling? Oh, my God. Like you're injured. And then, you know, if this is what he did to me, who knows what he's going to do to her. And he has a gun. Like Clearly, he beat the crap out of it mm-hmm. and, and fired it. So Carla's dad um, is a retired Air Force lieutenant colonel. So he grabbed his gun, raced to the and hauled ass to the bowling alley. Uh, her mom called the police, who arrived at the scene very quickly. They searched the parking lot. They found her purse along with the magazine clip that had fallen out. Um, other cops drove the surrounding streets looking for any sign of her. And of course, by the next day, they hadn't found her. More people joined the search. By Monday, um, the detectives went to the high school and they were talking to the students and looking at all the pictures that people had taken at the dance. Just for anybody who seemed out of place or like maybe mm-hmm. was close to her. And at this time, the population of Fort Worth was about 400,000. The city so. felt safe. Most people didn't lock their doors at night, which... We can attest to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's typical of Fort Worth. I think that's typical of all Texas. I mean, mm-hmm. we didn't, I mean, we lived out in the country for the most part, but mm-hmm. we hardly ever locked our shit. Carla's sister said, while she knows they were naive about crime because they could not imagine, but they could not imagine that Carla was dead. They figured someone, someone was going to drive by the house and drop her off and then they would all just move on. Several days later, four days to be exact, two of the officers that were assigned to on the search party, we're driving along a remote two-lane road near Benbrook Lake, which mm-hmm. is about five miles southwest of the Bowling Alley. They spotted a culvert and pulled over to look inside. Mm. They saw a young woman lying on her back. Her face and neck were covered with scratches and deep bruises, and it was definitely Carla. Her powder blue prom dress was bloody and ripped in several places. Her bra was pushed up above her breast. Mm. And her underwear and pantyhose were wadded up together at the entrance to the culvert. She had been strangled. Um, Because there were no ligature marks around her neck, they believed her killer had strangled her with his hands. Um, Her parents were asked to come to the morgue and identify her body. Her little brother Jim went with them. He said, he's quoted as saying, someone took mom and dad down the hall to look at her and my mom started to scream. And I have never heard anyone make a sound like that. It was, Mm. hold on. It was like an animal sound that will stay with me for as long as I live. That choked me up. Can you imagine the guilt her boyfriend probably felt? I mean, I know there was nothing else he could do in the moment, but how do you not feel guilty? Well, I'm sure he's doing that. I should have. I shouldn't have left. I should have. I should have gotten the car and tried to follow them. I should have. I should have locked the door. Yeah. Or maybe we should have just gone back to her house and, you know. Then they couldn't make out. I know. I don't know. So a little bit about Carla. Her name is was Carla Jan Walker. She was 17 at the time. She was a junior at Western Hills High School. Everybody said that she was the kind of girl who smiled at everyone and said hello to just about everybody in the hallway. Everybody loved her. She was only 4'11 and had shoulder-length honey blonde hair. She was dating Rodney, who was the quarterback of the football team. Mm. And they talked about enrolling together at Texas Tech. She told her close friend that she had no doubt that she and Rodney would someday marry and start a family. How cute. Isn't that sweet? 
So news of her murder covered almost the entire front page of the Star-Telegram, and I can confirm that because I actually looked it up. Um, Her funeral was held at the Western Hills Church of Christ, in which more than 1,250 mourners attended, way more than the church could hold. All of her friends were really, really scared. They stopped cruising Camp Bowie after school. Some would no longer leave their houses at night. Kathy O'Neill, who was the editor of the high school yearbook that year, babysat in that neighborhood. And after that, she had to call her parents the minute she got to where she was babysitting and let them know she was safe. A lot of them signed up for self-defense classes. The Fort Worth officials formed a task force of detectives from area police departments. And I have found an article about that where women were getting, the younger women were getting pissed off that, like, we're going this extra mile to make sure that we're prepared, but you're not doing anything about the, the guys that are doing it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. We're, we have to be on the defensive. What about them? Well, and look how brazen he was. He didn't give a it's shit. It's not like they were out in a deserted they were parking in the lot. Fucking car. You know, like far away where nobody was around. They were in a bowling alley parking lot on a weekend night. After the prom, there were people. I mean, anybody could have walked up at that point. Anyone. And who, how did he know who all was in the car exactly. unless he was watching? Obviously. He must have been watching. Sicko. There wasn't really much to investigate. There were no fingerprints. And did he get a look at the car that he was in? Mm-mm. I mean, I'm find sure out. if he was shot in the face, he probably... Yeah, because remember, he had, he blacked out, too. Mm-hmm. So they didn't find any fingerprints on her on her clothing or her body. The blood on her dress had come from Rodney's head wounds. They did find traces of body fluid on her, um, and so they preserved that. But, I mean, we're talking about 1974. They mm-hmm. didn't have DNA uh, testing yet. They, they didn't have... Any, there were no surveillance cameras at these places where they were at. No license plate readers. Like, there was no way. And at this point, most of the police departments didn't even have computers yet. So they're really so, just either waiting for him to do it again or a, or, a random witness to come mm-hmm. forward. Or find something else obvious that they hadn't found yet mm-hmm. around the area. Which is so scary to think back then that, like, now we're like, oh, they'll the, every, everyone has a ring camera almost. There's recording everywhere nowadays. So most of the time, they're able to find out where people were. But I can't imagine living in the 60s and 70s where when these attacks happened, you just had to wait for them to strike again to I mean, get found. I was nine years old when this happened. That's... And I was out riding my bike every night. I think about that and it it almost makes me not be able to sleep. Like, how how is it going to be for Callie as she gets older and, mm-hmm. and Scarlett when she's born as mm-hmm. she gets older? Like, is it going to be like a, is your house going to be like a prison? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't want to think about that. They did set up a 24-hour hotline for tips. So they took call after call with names of men being accused of this crime. They were told by various callers that Carla had been murdered by pot dealers. Uh, they also said um, that pot she... Pot dealers? Yeah, yeah. Did by, they call them pot dealers? Carla had been murdered by pot dealers. <laughs> or she'd been murdered by a carnival worker at the Fort Worth Stock Show and Rodeo. Okay. Or by a quiet young man who often bowled alone at the bowling alley where Carla was taken. So like it's coming out of the woodworks. People are blaming everybody. Those damn pot dealers. I know it. <laughs> they heard stories about a boy who had supposedly gotten into an argument with Rodney at the Mr. Quick Hamburgers the night before the dance. They also got a call from a man who wouldn't give his name. He claimed he knew the murderer who said hadn't meant to kill Carla and only wanted to fuck her. Ew. That's gross. Um, they also hired a hypnotist to try to draw more details out of Rodney. And they did get... Uh, it says the most significant memory he managed to recall was that Carla's kidnapper had been wearing a brown or tan cowboy hat. When the hypnotist snapped his fingers and woke Rodney up, he started crying. 
And he said that the kid was so scared and all torn up and tormented that he didn't do enough to save his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like you said, survivor's guilt. During one meeting, the task force detectives did discuss another unsolved murder. Murder. A murder. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. The detectives discussed another unsolved murder that had taken place on February 7th, 1973, which was right at a year before. That night, a young woman named Becky Martin didn't return home after attending a night class at Tarrant County Junior College. Her body was found almost seven weeks later. It was so decomposed that there was no way to determine the cause of death. The Emmy said Martin could have been stabbed or strangled or even shot through the stomach. The interesting thing about this murder is where they found their body, the body, in the culvert just outside the city limits. Mm. They didn't mention it publicly, but they were thinking that they're probably looking for a serial killer because strangulation was common in between those two and then the way he, he left the body. Because he obviously feels safe doing that. Right. It's a, like it's going to take him a while to find it mm-hmm. and he will And it's have, abandoned to an extent. Yeah. March of 1974, so a month later, um, the task force only had one small lead. They learned that the magazine clip that they found in the Bolin Alley parking lot belonged to a newer model 22 Ruger handgun. So they asked the ATF to provide them with names of people that lived in Fort Worth who had purchased that model. So they came up with about 12 people, which isn't very much if you think about it. Not in a town of 400,000. Exactly. I mean, this is the 70s, though, so it wasn't like that that many people. I think more people now have guns than back then. I agree. They went to interview each one. One of the men was a 31-year-old man by the name of Glenn McCurley. Two detectives went to interview him about his pistol. He told the cops that his pistol was stolen six weeks earlier from his truck while he was fishing. Classic story. He then agreed to come down and take a polygraph test, which he passed. So they eliminated him from the potential suspect. Yeah, because if list. he believes that it was stolen in his brain when he tells the story, then exactly. He'll pass. Yeah. So they still had no leads. They didn't. The task force didn't officially disband, but many of the, the detectives were ordered to by their supervisors to return to other cases because if they don't have leads to follow, then it's kind of hard to runs, stay focused on it. Runs cold, right? Yep. The students at Western Hills High School raised money to pay for a memorial to Carla. Mm. They created this tile plaque of a cougar, which is the school's mascot, and they installed this on the floor in the front hallway. And so they had black ropes from metal poles preventing people from walking on this plaque. They said, we wanted to make sure that she was never forgotten. Our hope was to create a place where everyone could come and remember just what kind of a special person she was. So now we're in 1976. Still nothing. Cold case. two years? Mm -hmm. So at this point, Carla's little brother, Jim, starts going to that high school. Her name's not right up in the hallways. People walking down the hallway, doing their thing. And every time he saw the memorial, he got to the point where he tried to avoid it because mm-hmm. it was just a you know, harmful reminder. I'm sure that's a hard reminder. It's you overwhelming. Know, like, like I think about, you know, MJ has the memorial at his elementary school. And even though, um, or yeah, because he was mm-hmm. about to go into middle school. And I, I'm kind of glad that a lot of his friends moved on only a year later to the next school because I can't imagine having to see that Every day and just be reminded that, you know, one of your best friends was taken from you. Yeah. So I'm sure that is important as it is and wonderful it is to keep their memory alive. I know that has to be hard for the students. Yeah. Especially that being his sister. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said that his family had been destroyed by his sister's murder. He said every morning my mom would stand in the shower and cry. He said, I never saw my dad cry. He was a military man, 
But for the first few years after her murder, I didn't see him smile either. Mm. This screwed up. Strangers would call their house and say they knew who killed Carla. But he took notes. Every time somebody would call, he would write down what they said. And he kept them in this big metal box about the size of a cigar box. He wrote down the names, the addresses, drew circles on maps where he had been told the killer lived. So he had this whole thing that he was building out. So when he turned 16, he got his driver's license. So he began spending his time helping his dad hunt for the killer. Like they were obsessed. Sometimes on the anniversary of Carla's death, he would go to the Bowling Alley parking lot looking for anyone suspicious. He also took boxing lessons so he could prepare in the event he ever came across the killer. He said, my plan was to overpower him, take him someplace far away, maybe somewhere out in West Texas where no one could hear him scream. Hmm. Um, Can you imagine like that became his life? Like yeah. the day he lost his I could his see sister. myself being that way. Yeah, absolutely. I would be obsessed. Like I wouldn't stop yeah, until. because someone has to, I understand and respect that the cops can only do what they can do with what they have. And if they don't have anything, then I feel like that's when it falls on the family or, because mm-hmm. if you don't stay in their ear and you don't give them fresh material, they can't do their job because somebody else was just murdered and they have more information. So yep. they have to proceed with that. And I get that. I do too. But it's just kind of, I mean, it's kind the, of. The family's not going to let it go though. No. Jim said every year they had a giant big family garage sale, and he often wondered if the killer ever stopped by. February 1977, somebody comes across the body of a 25-year-old female by the name of June Ward. She was a vocational nurse. She was found lying next to a curb in South Fort Worth. She was naked except for a bra strap wrapped around her neck. She had been strangled and beaten over the head with uh, what one reporter described as a sharp, heavy object. Detectives who worked on Carla's case couldn't help but notice the similarities. July 1980, the body of a 19-year-old woman named Denise Ho was found a few feet from a quick... God dang it. A quick? Am I Baba Wawa's all of a sudden? Was it a deep quick? (laughs) Very, very deep quick. Was found a few feet from a creek bridge in southeast Fort Worth. She too had been strangled. She had red hair and a tattoo that said Dougie. Her aunt said that Denise's first childhood sweetheart was named Dougie. And so that's why she got the tattoo. But her aunt said that Denise was unemployed and that she had been hitchhiking through Texas visiting friends. So you think maybe he was just an opportunist in that moment? It was an easy one? I'm you just... have to pull her out of a car? Well, what I'm just outlining is after Carla, there were all these continuing young women that were murdered. I don't know... I'm not going to get ahead of myself. So then now we're in February 1983. Another woman is found. Christy Tower, a waitress at Billy Bob's in the stockyards, Mm. never came home for work and is reported missing. A cleanup worker for a landscape company found a body decomposing in March. It was found in a field in the 3100 block of Fossil Creek Boulevard. Dental records confirmed it was Christy. Her hands were bound with electric wire and another wire twisted around her neck. Police released a sketch of a man that was seen arguing with her the night she went missing. They say the man was about 30 years old, 6'3", and weighed about 235 pounds. That's a lot more than what the other guy was, huh? Mm-hmm. Police found her car ransacked uh, on the northeast side of Billy Bob's with both doors unlocked. In an odd twist, Henry Lee Lucas was brought in and questioned for that murder. Who's Henry Lee Lucas? Really? What? Google it. I don't want to get too sidetracked. Detectives found her purse in a dumpster behind Cheers. That was a bar on Camp Bowie Boulevard. Um, And it was only, Cheers was only a half mile from the Brunswick Ridgely Bowl parking lot. 
So now we're in 1984. Ten years. Mm-hmm. Catherine Davis, who was an employee of the Ridgely Country Club, was last seen about 40 minutes before a fire destroyed her garage apartment. Fire investigators say a smoldering cigarette dropped on a mattress caused her fire. Her body was found in a field in far south Fort Worth. About a month later, Marilyn Hartman, 29-year-old school teacher, was found gagged and strangled in her Fort Worth bedroom. Three days later, Cindy Heller, on and on and on. In November, another person. Two weeks later, another person. Oh, my God. December, right before Christmas, another person. So how many is that so far? 12, 14? Uh, uh-huh. At least. How this many point, women have to die? That's a great question. It if says, they were men being killed, they would have done something a lot sooner. I'm just yeah, saying. That's why I brought this. That's why I'm saying, like, in the paper, it was just like, bam, 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 bam. It says sales of mace and guns skyrocketed. Uh, the police department offered a free seminar on self-defense. Good. More than 3,000 people attended, most of them women. So at this point, the police department formed another task force. They're like, oh, okay. Oh, now there's been yeah. enough murders. 12 years later, or 74. Yeah, 12 years. 12 years and 10, 15 women have been innocently murdered and killed and strangled and raped and God knows what else. Yeah. Now we should do something. Now we're going to put the task force back together and try to figure something out. So years and years go by, all these murders go unsolved. So Carla's little brother isn't going to give up. After high school, he went to Sam Houston State University where he had read books on serial killers. He took courses in abnormal psychology so that he could better understand the criminal mind. After he graduated from college, he moved back to Fort Worth and he applied to become a police officer. He said, my plan was to get promoted to detective and get my hands on Carla's file and find her killer. Isn't it crazy how that incident changed his whole life path. And we that happens a lot with victims that survive, when people survive mm-hmm. that kind of a tragedy. Like, I remember this is a familiar thing that happens yeah, with, like, like, the women who women who lose their kids go on to create, like, some kind of support group mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to help the other mothers that are going through, or anybody doesn't have like, to be mother. Like, he may have wanted to have been, like, an architect before yeah. that, or you know, a doctor before that. Mm -hmm. And then that changed his entire life path. I mean, it, we're going to go this way now. And now this is where our our life is, is going to go. Like I don't have a choice. This is what I have to do. He's like driven to do that. Yeah. Because that's just, that is crazy. It's like, you never know where your life's going to be. Absolutely not. He wasn't able to become a cop because they found out that he had a congenital eye disorder And that means he couldn't be a detective or a police officer because of his vision. So he went to work in security for general dynamics. Discrimination. (laughs) I mean, if you can't see, you can't shoot. No corrective lens would help? No, it's a congenital eye disorder. So like, you're in the medical field. What does congenital mean? Well, um, it sounds like it means that he... Got Progressively gets worse and you won't be able to see at all. I think it means you're going to go blind. No, that's degeneration. Congenital is he got it from birth. Right. But it doesn't mean that it's not going to progressively keep getting worse where he loses his vision because I think that's what happens. Okay. Yeah. Whatever. So maybe he had macular degeneration. It didn't say that, but I know what that means. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm more familiar with that term. Um, so sadly, his dad passed away in 1987 of a heart attack, which means his dad died not knowing. Mm-hmm. He who... probably died of a broken heart. I mean, that's, I mean, what, that's only 11 years after she died. Yeah. Right. Uh, she died in 74. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. 85, you said? So that's 11 mm-hmm. years. You probably died of a broken heart. So, and then his mother died of Alzheimer's in 2015. So she also died when they still didn't know the killer. Well, at least towards the end, she didn't think about that. 
Jim decides that he's going to buy his parents' house and, and move in. He said, I wanted to live there in case somebody ever got a conscience at three in the morning and showed up to confess. He got his old metal box and started digging through it to see if there was something he may have missed. Um, he also regularly called the Fort Worth Police Department cold case unit to ask about the developments in her case. He always got the same answer. Sorry, nothing new has emerged. We'll let you know when we get a break. Never. <laughs> uh, one of the times he called, he didn't get an answer, so he left a voicemail. A detective named Leah Wagner returned the call. She had joined the department in 2000. She first worked in patrol, then eventually was promoted to the homicide division, focused on active cases. But in 2018, they moved her to the cold case unit. When she called Jim back, she admitted that she knew nothing of Carla's case, and of course, Jim filled her in. He mentioned that if Carla's killer were even still alive, they were definitely running out of time. Mm -hmm. Wagner found Carla's case, and she started reading up on it. Uh, and then during that, the course of that, she was moved back to the active cases department to cover for a detective that was sick. So, like, this kid can't catch a break. No. but Not without lack of trying, though. Exactly. But in 2019, January of 2019, she was able to go back to the cold case unit. And so they brought in a reserve officer to help as the cases were piling up. The reserve officer that they brought in, his name was Jeff Bennett. He had expressed interest in doing detective work. So they gave her, they gave him Carla's case right away. So he took the files home. I mean, wouldn't we all? Yeah, that'd so, be the first one I'd want. Yeah, and he took all the files home. He found original police reports, the autopsy report, summations of interviews that were conducted with friends and acquaintances of Carla. He worked obsessively sometimes through the night, of course. He eventually came up with a list of about 80 people of interest he thought would be worth re-interviewing. Wagner and Bennett asked Jim and his sister Cindy to come downtown so they could introduce themselves. And then they went down to visit. And, of course, the detectives said, hey, man, do you have any hunches about who it might be? And they're like, we have no idea. We, we just, if we had a hunch, we would have already told you. Because, unfortunately, this most likely is a complete random act of violence. Because what, what teenager like that has that many enemies in the adult world? Exactly. You know, it'd be different if it was a young person, one of her classmates, but this was obviously an older man. Yep. Um, so they began tracking down this list of people. And so in an attempt to get any new witnesses, they posted a message on their, uh, the Fort Worth Police Department face Facebook page and got a couple of dozen messages. So then they decided, you know, let's go back and look at any DNA evidence we may have. The technologies progressed mm -hmm. drastically. So they tested her clothes. Well, the cost of testing her clothes would have been as much as 20 grand. And the police department isn't going to shell out that kind of money for a cold case. They would only do that on active cases. This is the part that made me think of you and I so much. Inner Vincent Strange. Okay, this is a made-up name. The guy didn't want his name out there, but he's a 40-year-old guy that lives in Fort Worth. He's an aerospace technician and a true crime buff. He told his wife back in 2017 that he planned to create a podcast about unsolved murders in Texas. He said his first story was going to be about Carla Walker. Uh, the show was called Gone Cold Podcast Dash Texas True Crime. Now, I didn't listen to it. He had a very small audience in the beginning, but one of the people that was obsessed with it, um, her name was Diane Kuykendall, and she is a retired mail clerk for the United States Postal Service in Fort Worth. And she went to school with Carla and that they weren't friends, but she knew of her, passed her in the hallway and said she was really friendly, always smiled at everybody, was one of the popular people, but she didn't act stuck up like she was friendly to everybody. Mm -hmm. So she decided to fly to Nashville for CrimeCon. 
Okay. I'm so jealous. She brought with her 80 copies of a pamphlet that she wrote about Carla's case. And most of the content that was in this pamphlet was what she got from uh, Vincent Strange's podcast. So she was walking down the hallways, passing this all out at CrimeCon. And so she gave Keith Morrison from Dateline a copy, Nancy Grace a copy, and Paul Holes a copy. You know who Paul Holes is, right? He's like a retired homicide detective who's mm-hmm. like get, gets involved. So Holes was intrigued by the case. So in April of 2019, he called Wagner and Bennett saying that Oxygen would be willing to pay 18 grand to cover the cost of testing on her clothing. Wow. Yes. So the, t- the detectives were pumped. But how cool is that? That is so cool. That and this good girl job, listened Oxygen. To, like this girl listened to a podcast, wrote up her own shit, took it to CrimeCon, passed it out, and that is what got Paul Holes involved. And all of a sudden now there's 18 grand there for them. I have chills. For them to test the DNA. Got some of the DNA, sent it to a lab in California. Uh, they did find some DNA and they got it from the strap of her bra. They were able to develop a full DNA profile which they, of course, uploaded to CODIS, but there was no match. Um, so Holes reached out to a te- Texas lab for some genealogy mapping, but they didn't find a match either. Holes was, he dedicated an entire episode of his television show to this case. And then after the episode aired, Holes introduced Wagner and Bennett to a guy by the name of David Mittelman, who is the CEO of Othram Forensic DNA Testing Lab in the Woodlands, which is right okay. by Houston. Yeah. So he was sure, this guy Middleman was sure that the technology his company had would be able to produce some good results. The detectives sent their last sample, like this was the last sample they have. So mm. if this didn't work, they were screwed because they didn't have any other DNA left to send. So they sent it to the lab in the woodlands. On July 4th of 2020, um, Middleman calls the detectives to say, we've connected the DNA to a particular family tree. Mm. The last name is McCurley. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Bennett began digging through his binders and he found the name because he was a suspect at Mm -hmm. one point, right? Bennett asked Middleman, is anybody in the family tree have the first name of Glenn? And Middleman said, yes, there's a Glenn Samuel McCurley Sr., but he passed away in 1972, which was two years before she was killed. And he said, can you check if there's a junior... And he said, I'll have to get back to you. Let's do a little bit background on McCurley, okay, before we continue. I mean, his last name is McCurley. He's already gross. Yeah. He was raised in West Texas. Because I got McCurleys. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He was raised in West Texas. Uh, when When he was a teenager, his parents sent him to the Westview Boys Home in Oklahoma place promotes itself as a place for those who are deprived due to sickness or death in their family, boys needing supervision, delinquent boys, and abandoned, abuser, and neglected boys. It's not clear why he was sent there or even how long he was there. Obviously, it didn't help him because in 1961, he left home, went to Abilene, Mm. stole a car. Stole it. He stole that bitch, then abandoned that car and stole another one. Uh, the state highway patrol began to chase him and shot at one of his tires. He drove the car onto a vacant lot and attempted to escape on foot. He was quickly captured. In the court, he pled guilty and received a two-year sentence. He was released early in the spring of 1962. He eventually moved to Midland, where he met his wife, Judy. They married in February of 1963. He eventually got a job uh, as a truck driver for USPS with a route in the DFW area. 
Then in 1972, he moved his family to Fort Worth. Hmm. His family? Yeah, he has has a son named Roddy and married his his wife's name is Judy. Um, And everybody loved Judy, but her husband wasn't as personable. Uh, It says, he did take time to mow the lawn at the church. He attended... And he did odd jobs for the neighbors. Very yeah, consistent. Yeah, because he had to pay his debts. Very back. consistent with what we see with other serial killer. They're like everybody in the neighborhood loves them, but you're going overboard because because I think they're trying to compensate for all yeah. the bad shit they do behind closed mm-hmm. doors. And if people come asking, oh no, he would never do that. He's a nice guy. He mows the yard at the church. But he was weird, and he had a bad habit of making comments to other men about young women. Gross. Nothing vulgar, but stuff like, take a look at that. That's vulgar. It's still gross and creepy. Back to the story. So there was, in fact, a Glenn Samuel McCurley Jr. who had been living in Fort Worth at the time of the killing. He was a truck driver, and he was the guy that told the cops that his gun had been stolen. Of course he was. Right? Somebody stole that likely shit. Likely story. But Wagner and Bennett do a background check on the guy. Other than that conviction for the stolen car, he didn't have anything else, no other run-ins with police. Well, and it kind of makes sense because he used the gun, if that's him, he used the gun in that one, and then I think the next girl was shot, but everybody else after that, there's no gun. So he probably thought, oh, shit, I can't keep using this gun. Mm-hmm. because they're going to tie it all together. They've asked for it. like they, mm-hmm. And he knew he lost the clip. He couldn't have shot anybody with it after. Well, I guess he did get... the second one have a gunshot to the stomach? Sh- yes, but so that he lost a... the clip. I mean, he could have gotten a replacement clip. Yeah. But remember, the cops found the clip. Right. That's how they knew what kind of gun. But he probably was like, oh, shit, I need to get rid of this. Yep. They'll tie me back to it. That's true. So they decided, let's go visit this guy. They show up at his house unannounced. Um, his wife and uh, McCurley... They open the door. They invite the detectives in. By the way, he's 77. Uh, they, they come into the living room. They sit down. They're making small talk. McCurley's talking about his old truck diving, driving days. Um, Judy says she spent 32 years at the Ridgely West Baptist Church daycare program. She retired in 2004 because of health issues. It said her husband had diabetes and recently had surgery to remove a tumor the size of the quarter from his liver. So he had liver cancer. Mm-hmm. So finally, after all the small talk, McCurley's like, what are you guys here to talk about? And they say, well, we want to take you way back to 1974 and find out if you remember a girl named Carla Walker. And before they can say anything else, Judy's like, oh, yes, I remember that, that poor girl and her poor family. She said, the Walkers just live right down the street. Mm-hmm. And she said, it broke my heart because for years they left Carla's car parked in the driveway for years. And never moved it. It just sat there. And she said, it broke my heart every time I drove by and saw that young girl's car there just parked with dust on it. Mm-hmm. And her parents didn't have the heart to move it. They asked McCurley, hey, can we get some DNA? And they said he hesitated and kind of like was putting them off. And he finally agreed, signed a consent form. So they swabbed his mouth. Um, and after that, Judy told the detectives, I hope you find out who killed Carla. That girl needs to be remembered as someone who mattered. Well, yeah so 11 days later after confirming that his dna was a perfect damn match the members of the u.s marshals north texas fugitive task force arrived at his house house to arrest his ass they drove him downtown where he waived his right to have a lawyer they started interrogating him they left him well first they left him sitting in the room for a while by himself which i love when they do that what do you think the wife was thinking I have no idea. Like, like I, I don't even, I can't even fathom that. 
I, I like someone that you've been married to and you've been, cause this 50, happened. They were married for, I think more than 50 years. Cause then they say 30, they got married in 60 something. And, but that, so this happened in 2021, 2020. when they arrested him. Mm-hmm. You said 2020. I think it was 2020. Let me roll up. Hold on. Cause they did it in July of 2020. They did the testing. Yeah. So yeah, they called on July 4, 2020 to say they had a match mm-hmm. and they, figured out there was a junior so yeah it had to be july or august of 2020 so that is 46 years after the murder Mm -hmm. so for if let's say they were married 55 years more than over half 75 percent of your marriage you were married to a piece of shit cold-blooded rapist killer yep and you your whole marriage was a lie like and you and so there are no signs i'm sure there were signs yeah they left him in the room for a little while, and then they finally go in, and they put a picture of Carla on the table, and they say, hey, do you know who this is? And he's like, nope. And they said, I need you to look again. Take a long look. He says, I've never seen her before, and I wouldn't know her if she was standing right beside me. Crotchety old fucker. Well, she, uh, well what, you have dementia now? Yeah, and, and she's a ghost. Come on. They keep asking him if he killed anybody else, and he's deny, deny, deny. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know her. I didn't kill anybody. Why am I here? You have, what, another 15, 20 years left on this earth? You deserve to spend them in prison. You got to be out for 46 years doing dirty shit. If that. I mean, he's got cancer. I'm saying, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, if they removed it, then he may not have cancer anymore. I hope he rots in hell. Anyway. So they they realize that's not going to work. So they try a different tactic, and they start saying, wow, I wonder... Like, I bet this has been really hard for you to keep to yourself. And, and like all these years you've been married to Judy and you didn't tell her, like, that's got to be really eating you up inside, you know? That's why you have cancer in your liver. Yeah, exactly. You're probably drinking because you feel like shit for what you did. Yeah. And worry is the worst thing you can do to your body. He starts to crack a little bit and it's like, well, then if I admit it, then I go to the electric chair, I get hung or whatever. Right. And they said, he said, plus, if I go to prison, I'm not going to be able to take care of my wife. And they tell him, hey, you have a son. Your son's going to take care of your wife. They go back and forth. And finally, he says, I did do it, I guess. That's his confession. So he tells detectives that on the afternoon of February 16th, 1974, he had drank whiskey and beer for several hours and then began driving around and parking in some parking lots. At one point, he said he parked at the bowling ball place. I can just hear this hick talking. He did seem as if he were going to compare but instead he told the detectives that he heard a girl screaming and went over there to see if he could help. He said a big guy had her up against the door, jerking her around. So he said he opened the front passenger door, got into a tussle with the boy, pushed him off of Carla, led her back to his car, then drove her to another parking lot. He said she started hugging him and thanking him. Then one thing led to another. He said they did have sex but then he let her out of the car. I'm sorry. And he didn't remember much after that. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Talk to me, Goose. So in 1974, he was, so if he's 77, then in let's 2020. So 77 minus 46 is, was that 31? So you're telling me this 17-year-old girl, right, mm-hmm. came on to this 31-year-old man. Because when she, she was saved her. just making out with her boyfriend in the car that she was so excited to go to a dance with. She came on to this man 14 years older than her. Because he saved her. The detective, the Wagner, she, I love her. She's like, she goes, let me just set you straight here. We know that Carla was a virgin. And if she wasn't having sex with her boyfriend, why in the hell would she have sex with you? Amen, sister. People are going to have a hard time believing that story, sir. 
but he still kept to it. And he did admit that he started to choke her a little bit after they had sex for fear she would tell on him or something. But he kept adamantly saying that she was alive when he left her. And then somebody else raped her. And that's what they're saying. They're like, how do you know she was alive? Did you see her? Like, was she standing up? Like, they know that he's lying anyway. Mm -hmm. So they can't get him to confess. So the next day they have a giant news conference and they announce finally after 46 years, five months and three days, they have a name and a face for the person that killed Carla Walker, Glenn McCurley. He pleaded not guilty, saying he was coerced into a confession and that the DNA testing was flawed. Mm-hmm. And, of course, his attorneys portrayed him as this feeble old man that was dying of cancer to try to get sympathy. But, like, it didn't really he matter. He didn't commit the crime at 77. He committed the Good crime point. at 31. Exactly. So Big difference. the 31-year-old McCurley is the one on trial, not exactly. the 77-year-old man dying of cancer. Girl, spoken like a true attorney. High five right there. There you go. On June 16th of 2021, they had the first pre-trial hearing. A few months later, the actual trial started. Um, Carla's boyfriend testified about the night she was kidnapped. The retired homicide detective Jim Mentor took the stand to talk about the original investigation. And of course, Wagner and Bennett testified about their own police work. But the prosecutors then present a very surprising piece of evidence. The gun that McCurley said was stolen, they found it in his house during a search of his home. It was hidden away in a compartment above a door. Mm-hmm. So there you go. DNA matches her. You said you didn't know her. Uh, and we found your guns, dumbass. Mm-hmm. Um, so the case was open and shut. On the third day of the trial, he finally changed his plea to guilty. And the judge quickly sentenced him to life in prison. And Good. he's in the Gibb Lewis unit in Woodsville, Texas. Skip Hollinsworth did go and visit him. He actually was able to, to get an interview. But he, because I mean, there are all these questions like, why? Why her? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, did you, did you stop? Did you do any of the other murders mm-hmm. that happened that during that time? Ask you is, did his DNA come up on, did they test him for all the other murders? I don't know if they did. If they did, they didn't tie him to them. And I guess, it's I feel just, like if they did, they would have tried him again and again and again. And maybe they don't have DNA evidence or, I mean, it's probably very likely that there is evidence, but we need Paul Holes or somebody yeah. with some money to fund the, the DNA testing so it can be done. So I we just, probably don't know. I just feel like there's no way that he couldn't have done at least some I agree. of those. I don't know. I don't believe that he did all of them. No, because like the one you said that had gotten in a fight, that sounds like a domestic situation. Yeah. yeah. But the ones that were found strangled and that were found in culverts or abandoned like that, I or truly out, believe out in a field. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, well, and mainly the reason for telling all that is to put yourself in the, the shoes of young women during that time. And if you lived in Fort Worth, how scared you must have been and mm-hmm. pissed off too. Yeah. I mean, like, like how many more of us have to die before you and then, do something? And then how many women didn't really get to do anything because their mothers wouldn't let them leave because they're fearful that something's going to happen to them. Well, and look at and her now brother. you're a prisoner in your own home. Her brother's whole life has changed. And then once this, this happened and they were caught, I'm sure he was happy, but then I'm sure he probably felt an emptiness in his life because now what is his purpose? There's that. And he, they, I did read that he sold his family's house cause he couldn't live there anymore. I'm sure not. He decided, you it's know, like once Groundhog they, day, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. That Gosh. is the case of Carla Walker, no longer cold case or unsolved. So yay for DNA testing. I just mm-hmm. wish there was a better way for cold cases like that to have funds to be able to test it without having to resort to people outside the community to, to pay for it. You know, I just don't understand why it's so expensive. 
I, I don't either. You know, That's a good I, question. I don't, I mean, I can send my DNA profile to a website for what, 120, 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. And they can tell me thousands of pieces of information about my DNA. So why does it take pe- taking a piece of fluid from a dress 20 grand? That's a good question. Why? why? Yeah. Why, why is that? Yeah. Um, because these, I'm, I'm doing it just because I want to. I feel like because I just want to do it, it should be 20000 For someone that was raped and killed, it should be 150 bucks. Exactly. You know? I completely agree because it's closure just, for somebody. I hear this so much in so many cases. Like, oh, they didn't have the funding. And I understand that it is city. City has to pay for it or the county, depending on where it's at. But And I know there's a lot of them, but yeah, it's just Brandon, hard for me. Brandon Woodruff is another one, right? Yeah, there's supposed just, to be DNA that why is it so they much? want to test. I don't know. Why? And, and then like, I wish I was a millionaire because I would just be like, I'm a volunteer yeah. person. I will test it for free. Yeah, I what, think I would do can that I too. I donate my time for free to get these 5,000 rape kits done. Mm-hmm. Like, what do I have to do to help the city get this done? Because there are people out there that are hurting And they don't don't have answers. And then there's rapists going free because they're not caught yet. Yeah. And then they have to keep doing it and keep doing it until the right person with the right funds, like this situation, she, her, her case just happened to be the one that was picked, but those other 10. No, hers was picked because that the, her friend, the girl that was, I'm just saying hers happened to be the one that, that got attention and got picked. Yeah. She gave the information to the right person loud enough that didn't stop. Right. And so the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Yeah. And her case was the one that was in the spotlight enough. Unfortunately, some of these other women, either they don't have family or their family is in Lima or maybe they moved or maybe it was just too much. They didn't want to talk about it anymore. They had enough of it. They they did their piece and moved on that, you know, God will take care of them and I'll just live my life. Yeah. That it didn't get done. It's sad. It should not be, should not be that we don't have the money to practice law. Yeah. And put people behind bars because we have to test stuff. And I'm, I don't know what it takes to test it. I'm I don't sure, either. I'm sure it's expensive equipment and I'm sure it takes um, expensive materials to get it done. I don't know what those people make that test it, but I just feel like money shouldn't be a reason why you can't put someone away that did a heinous crime. Yeah, I agree. I think it should be a lot cheaper. Find a way to make it happen. Yeah, I agree. But this is a good one. Thank I remember, you. I do remember, I think it was Sword and Scale I was listening to. And I heard it and I was like, how do I not have this on my list? And so when you said, when you said Carla Walker, I'm like, didn't we already do that? No, but you had asked me before what Mm -hmm. I was working on and this is the one I've been working on. But then I look back, I'm like, oh, I did the one of the other girl last name Walker. Carla, this is Carla Walker. Mm -hmm. The one I did was the one that was killed in the, the, the realtor that was killed. Her last name was Walker. Oh, oh, that's right. And then there was another one you did, um, Cherry Walker, Diane Cherry Walker. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, no wonder Walker sounded familiar. But yeah, no, this is a good one. Yeah. So rest in peace, Carla Walker. And all those other poor women that were taken by the hands of some grimy McCurley man. Fucking asshole. So I don't know if he's still alive. I really don't care. He got what's coming to him. Either he's going to die of cancer or he'll just die. But at least he's in prison. Mm-hmm. And now his family knows what he did. And oh, he did say that his family stopped writing to him. Oh, he did tell that? Skip that. He was like, Yeah, so I guess I guess they believe all the bullshit the cops told them. So they stopped writing to me. So I guess they believe the cops. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Whatever. <laughs> all right. So are we good? We're good. It's a wrap. That's a wrap. All right. All right. Till next time. Till next time. Bye, Bye y'all. y'all.